Hello and welcome back to Autopsy of a Horror Movie. My name is Brooker and today I will be discussing the very fun horror comedy from the year 2020, Freaky. Thank you so much for coming back to the show. I hope that you got to enjoy my fun Breaking the Rules episode last week in which I talked about Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. I did a kill grade with my good buddy Nate and my new friend Brent from the Uncultured Opinions podcast. We had a ton of fun and like I said, I was just breaking the rules for that one episode, but I'm getting right back into some horror with today when I'm discussing Freaky. And this is also the first solo recording I've had in a while. I've been recording with a lot of guests, so it feels weird, but a good weird to kind of be back by myself here. So I hope that you get to enjoy this episode. Freaky was a movie that I saw the trailers for during 2020, during the, the lockdown, and I was super intrigued by its premise. It seemed really fun, funny, but it also kind of seemed like it would be scary as well. I will have to say probably one of the biggest draws from the trailer was just how fun it looked like Vince Vaughn was having with these, you know, young actors like with Catherine Newton. It it looked like a fun time and this movie definitely delivers on that fun time. Freaky was written and directed by Christopher Landon, who is becoming sort of like a kind of like a I I don't know I don't know what to say. I don't want to say like horror specialist, but because that sounds weird, but yeah, Christopher Landon's kind of becoming sort of a, a specialist in fun, specifically fun horror movies. He's had his hand in a bunch of different horror projects that you've probably seen, actually, and just didn't know that he was a part of. Christopher Landon wrote most, if not all, of the Paranormal Activity sequels, including Paranormal Activity 2, 3, 4, and The Marked Ones. He also directed Happy Death Day and its sequel, Happy Death Day to You, which, stay tuned, by the way. The thing that stuck out to me the most that was part of Christopher Landon's filmography was that he wrote the screenplay for Disturbia? What? I was kind of shocked by that. You know, finding that out, it kind of makes sense, actually, that he would be part of that because that's a very fun horror movie that kind of, like, puts some, like, the comedy first at some points, but it's still, you know, very thrilling and scary and, you know, it, to borrow a term from my friend Rachel, makes you so sweaty. Christopher Landon was also joined by co-writer Michael Kennedy, and according to IMDb, Michael Kennedy is an animation producer for Family Guy and American Dad, which would explain some of the excellent comedy that is in Freaky. This movie has an awesome cast. It stars Catherine Newton, who was in Paranormal Activity 4, see the little connection there, Vince Vaughn, Celeste O'Connor, Misha Osharovich. I just butchered that. I am so sorry. Also, what's really fun is that Alan Ruck has a cameo in this, which is, you know, fucking hilarious. This movie is a lot of fun. I highly recommend you go check it out. If you're just a fan of comedies, slashers, you're going to have a good time with this. I don't want to spoil this movie for you because, I don't know, I just feel like you, you just got to go see it. So, be sure to go check it out. I'm about to give you a spoiler-free plot description. After that, this episode will be filled with spoilers, so you have been warned. Millie is a timid teenager just trying to get through high school with her two best friends, Nyla and Josh. She is bullied by her peers, called ugly by jocks, and feels pressured by her mom to not go off to college. Her mom is scared of losing another loved one after the death of her husband. In this town of Blissfield, where our characters reside, it is plagued by the Blissfield Butcher, who is on a slight teenage killing spree. 
Millie's story takes a freaky turn of events when she is attacked by the Blissfield Butcher, wielding an ancient Aztec dagger. Millie and the Butcher wake up the following morning to discover that they have mysteriously swapped bodies. The clock begins ticking as they only have 24 hours to reverse the ancient Aztec magic. As I kind of said up top, I would absolutely recommend this movie. This movie is so much fun, especially if you like comedies. Even if you don't like horrors and you just like comedies, you will really like this movie, I think. It's hilarious. The characters are great and very likable. And the best part of a, you know, for a horror movie fan, this movie really leans into that R rating with these kills, which is, I feel like, something that Christopher Landon has sort of kind of always handcuffed himself with because... You know, Disturbia, I know he didn't direct it, but he wrote the screenplay for it. Disturbia is very PG-13, and I feel like it would have benefited from some nice rated R kills in that. And Happy Death Day is PG-13 as well, and that movie is really awesome and good on its own. And the kills are, are fine in it, but, you know, they're, they're PG-13, they're kind of, you know, very quick. We actually don't even see the kills in that movie, if you think about it, because we kind of see up to the point before the cycle restarts, but... I, like, the rated R in this helps the Freaky so much. Uh, there's lots of, you know, decent gore in this. Alan Ruck gets split in half. I mean, and we see all of it. It's fucking great. This movie rules. Um, and I love how this movie, you know, it, it makes our characters so likable. Like, Millie, Josh, and Nyla are all really awesome characters and very believable high schoolers, in my opinion. I had the pleasure of being able to watch the watch the movie with Christopher Landon's commentary on this. And if you own this movie on Blu-ray, I highly recommend you doing that because he spilt the beans on so many things. He gave away so many like fun little Easter eggs, fun little details. Um, one that really stuck out to me was that the the Blumhouse logo that's going on before the movie comes on. I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with it. So one like you're kind of like in this haunted room. There's a chair floating. There's a creepy girl in the corner. You know the one I'm talking about. Well, in this, he got to put in a fun little Easter egg, and the creepy little girl is holding the the dagger from this movie, the Dola. She's holding that, and that's a fun little, like, blink-and-you-miss-it kind of Easter egg, and that's how, like, neurotic directors are. They That probably took, I don't know how long that would take to, like, digitally put that in, but that's someone's day, at least, you know? And it's some it's like a blinking you miss it sort of thing but it's that important to Christopher Landon or pretty much any other director to get those really tiny little details and easter eggs in even though nobody probably picked it up and I just really appreciate someone that's that involved in their craft so Christopher Landon was just winning so many points for me from his bonus stuff on the blu-ray as I said the characters are very fun and likable they seem pretty relatable too like they seem like real people um, I, I will I will say like a small knock is that some of the dialogue was a little like what the fuck was that joke kind of thing. Uh, for instance, there's a part where Josh says that it, he likes it that he sounds rapey after being called out for trying to prey on drunk straight guys at parties who might be into like exploring their sexuality. Like what kind of joke is that? I'm kind of just going to blame that on Michael Kennedy. That just reeks of bad family guy comedy, in my opinion. But, you know, whatever. I The rest of the movie's fine. Josh isn't a rapist. He's actually a really funny and super fun character in this. Uh, he's just, you know, he's just great. And he's an openly gay character in this, too. And that's something that Christopher Landon, who is a gay director, said that was really important to him. Is that 
he really needed to get the character of Josh correct in this, and that he didn't want this to be a like you know a coming out party for Josh. This wasn't about a gay character that was closeted or struggling with his sexuality or struggling to talk about it with his parents or anything like that. He is just openly gay and just you know a very confident person in this, and he's just you know he's just a gay character living in the world, and I really like that, and I appreciated Christopher Landon taking the moment in the commentary to really point that out, be like, this was important to me. And Josh, just the, the actor playing Josh Misha just really crushed it here. And he was really funny. So yeah, Josh was an awesome character in this. Now, Vince Vaughn as Millie did a great job. Oh my goodness. And Catherine Newton did a fantastic job as the creepy butcher as well. It's it, it's so, like I don't know who could have done a better job than Vince Vaughn in this, to be honest. I mean, you could think of a bunch of different male like actors in this, like I don't know, like Bruce Willis or fucking I don't know, I don't know who else that you, you could get in this that would be that would seem kind of macho and intimidating. But Vince Vaughn didn't like play it for laughs, in my opinion. Like him and Catherine Newton worked really hard to learn each other and learn each other's like ma- little mannerisms. You know, he was doing his best job to portray the specific character of Millie, and he did so, you know, he he, he kept her little um, thumb-biting little quirk and walking around with his arms kind of bent and raised slightly. He did raise the pitch of his voice some, but it was more of, like, making his voice soft than, like, high-pitched, like, Valley Girl. He wasn't doing, a, like, a parody of what, I don't know, what, what some people would think of as a high school girl. He was trying to be... Catherine Newton's Millie, and I really appreciated this. And something that helped them with this is that the director said he made them take video journals of themselves, and they would send them to each other, and they would study their mannerisms. And the physicality, you know, it it comes off so well. And Catherine Newton was fucking kind of creepy. I mean, (laughs) this butcher is very much like a Jason, Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers type of silent stalker sort of thing, and. Catherine Newton, I felt like she landed that pretty well. Um, I loved her her demeanor in this because when she is, you know, Catherine Newton as Millie, she's very timid, shy. She, you know, her shoulders are kind of like, you know, shrugged and she's kind of like, you know, all she's all closed in. You could tell that like her body language is like cutting herself off from the world and just kind of like hiding and already already being like this preemptive like protection state almost while Catherine Newton as the butcher she you know she she had good posture she walked tall and confident and it it just all worked really well so I was actually really impressed by all this and the cast you know with Vince Vaughn Celeste O'Connor Misha Osharovich butchering that name so sorry and Catherine Newton they all had really good chemistry I have to say and a big credit comes from them from stepping up behind the scenes and bonding together um the, the the fun little cheerleading dance that Vince Vaughn does to in the kitchen scene when he's chasing them and he's having to you know convince Josh and Nyla's like no it really is Millie and they do the little cheerleader dance together after the dance they do like that 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 like kind of like secret handshake those three actors Vince Vaughn Misha and Celeste O'Connor they came up with that handshake like on their own like so they bonded so well over this movie and it just I don't know it really comes off and it's very charming I love it something that I was liked about this movie is that it feels super 90s in a way. I mean, 
in Millie's bedroom, she has a Panic at the Disco poster, which I know does like an early aughts band, but I feel like, I don't know if many high school girls today would have a Brendan Urie poster. I just, I just don't know. I feel like that was something like my generation really liked, but who knows? I could be completely wrong on that. They also very cleverly wrote out cell phones. Well, kinda. Cell phones still have a major presence in this movie. Like, they talk about dating apps, and, you know, there's uh, social media stuff in this. But at times, when it would be convenient for the plot for Millie to not have a cell phone, they write in about how her mom is dealing with some alcoholism, which I think is kind of a nod to A Nightmare on Elm Street, sort of, with how, with how Nancy's mom was basically a neglectful alcoholic of a parent but anyways um so so, you know she can't reach her mom because her mom is passed out drunk and then like her battery dies and that's kind of what leads to like a big chase scene here so you know there's there's some points there for creativity even though we still rely on the battery dying (laughs) and again i just need to give some praise to christopher landon here because he is obviously such a horror fan and loves the genre so much he gave so many awesome nods to the classics that, that came before this. So just let me point out a few things that I picked up on. And if you picked up on more things, please comment on Instagram. I would love to continue the dialogue there. So anyways, this there's obviously a lot of Friday the 13th sort of vibes in this. We have those awesome title cards with Wednesday 11th, Thursday the 12th, Friday the 13th. The Butcher is wearing a mask that kind of looks like a Jason mask, but it's not a Jason mask, but it's like it looks like a Jason mask. Uh, he is, the Butcher is very much a Jason-like character, especially in that opening scene where he kills all those teenagers. Holy shit, that was a fucking awesome scene. And there's also some ha- Halloween vibes in this. Again, the Butcher is kind of like a mix between Jason and Michael Myers. But more specifically, uh, there's a part in this movie where Vince Vaughn is walking around wearing an Aaron Rodgers mask. And that was supposed to be direct homage to Halloween and how they wore a William Shatner mask. And fun fact, it was originally supposed to be a John Goodman mask, but Aaron Rodgers was way more willing to allow them to have his face for a mask than John Goodman was. And so, yeah, it works out. And that's a fun little nod to Halloween, even though I don't think the mask looks like Aaron Rodgers, but whatever. There's also some really awesome callbacks to Scream here, especially with the opening scene, uh, because the opening scene is with uh, Vince Vaughn killing these teenagers and the last victim is hung up on the wall and it was kind of giving me some uh, Casey Beckard vibes with how she was found hanging from a tree she was hanging from a wall and then the parents discover her and scream and then title card so that's kind of that felt like very much scream to me which I really liked there's also even some Frankenstein nods when Millie wakes up as the butcher, she's only saying, she's only like muttering like one word answers to everything. And Landon specifically said that was supposed to be a Frankenstein nod because the creature kind of just mumbles one word answers to everything when he becomes alive. So very subtle, but I mean, I had to watch the Blu-ray to really pick, pick up on that. There's also some really awesome shining vibes in this, uh, especially when we are at Josh's house and the butcher is trying to break down the door. You kind of get that awesome shot where it looks like Josh very much looks like Shelley Duvall from The sh- from, from the Shining as uh, uh, Jack Torrance is trying to break down the door. And we get that awesome upshot of the other side of the door with Millie as the butcher just banging on the door. And she's wearing a red jacket like Jack Torrance. And they kind of just 
replicate that whole shot of her banging on the door and it's it, it's it's just so good i just love these fun little easter eggs like that uh the last one i want to point out is texas chainsaw massacre 2 specifically i think you all know where i'm going with this but if not let me explain there is a part in this movie where where millie as the butcher is kind of threatened actually not kind of she is threatened with gang rape and because she's the fucking butcher in this body she's able to fight them off and kill them and she specifically kills one of them with a big ass chainsaw to the crotch and that very much felt like a callback to texas chainsaw massacre part two when leatherface puts his chainsaw like on the thigh and on the crotch of stretch and that and it was a very like sexual metaphor in that and this one it felt like a callback to that but instead of it being a somewhat i don't know gratification for someone in this it was just straight up murder and you know butchering and mangling the the piece here of this dude all very awesome callbacks and again i probably missed some other nods so please comment on instagram Now, categorizing this movie into subgenres is kind of fun and tricky. It's fun for all movies, but this one, there's so much blending in this. So it's obviously a slasher horror comedy. That is the biggest part of the Venn diagram here. It's also kind of a coming-of-age story, which is similar to Landon's other work with Happy Death Day. And some of you may argue that because of the body swap element of this, that it could be sci-fi, but I think I'm going to argue that point, actually. I don't think it's sci-fi at all primarily because of the Dola Dagger. It is explained that the body swapping is due to some Aztec kind of like ritual or magic or mysticism, and that ain't science, folks. So I feel like that kind of rules out the fact that this is sci-fi. You may then ask, well, what about it being cosmic horror? Again, I think that there's just too much of an explanation here. To me, cosmic horror is in like Lovecraftian stuff really relies on the unknowable and... What we know is that it's the Dola Dagger that's causing this. Not only that, but they also explain that it's specifically an ancient Aztec curse on the Dola Dagger that is causing this body swapping. So I feel like they didn't include that information, that there is a small case for cosmic horror. But I don't know. I feel like that kind of rules it out just because there's too much explained. But I could be completely wrong. Feel free to argue, me on, argue with me on Instagram. And there's also kind of like this new subgenre that Blumhouse with Landon is sort of inventing, which is taking a classic comedy and putting it in like a slasher skin. Um, you know, Happy Death Day did that. You know, they took Groundhog Day and made it into Happy Death Day. Freaky is doing that with Freaky Friday here. And actually, the original title for this movie was supposedly Freaky Friday the 13th, which, you know, explains the title cards in the beginning. But... I feel like that they went with the completely correct choice of just choosing Freaky. Freaky Friday the 13th, a little too much on the nose, if you ask me. Sounds more like a spoof movie. Anyways, but back to my, my point with Blumhouse kind of inventing this new subgenre of taking a comedy and putting it in a slasher skin. That's very fun, and I kind of hope that they keep this up. I'm trying to think of other comedies that I would like to see with a slasher spin on it, but again, comment on Instagram what you guys would like. This also falls into one other subgenre of horror that I was just thinking of, and that is revenge horror. Most people that the Butcher kills as Millie were primarily revenge kills, I think. 
I mean, he killed Ryler, who was a bully. Alan Ruck, who was this, you know, angry, kind of dipshitty teacher towards her. The three jocks that tried to gang rape her. I mean, like, that's not cool. So it just kind of felt like sort of like this subtle, like, revenge movie almost. Because lots of the murder that we saw with Millie's body was primarily revenge on things on people that were specific towards Millie so it's kind of interesting it's kind of like you know Millie needed this out-of-body experience to I don't know assert her dominance in a way but also like we shouldn't be killing people except for those rapists like I I, I won't bat an eye of that but anyways uh yeah so revenge horror is also definitely a theme in this movie and that means it's about time to get to my fear analysis, but I'm going to take a quick break. You'll hear a brief word from my friend John from over at the Fun Podcast, Jacob Marley is Dead, and then we'll get right back into the fear analysis. Well, it finally happened. You woke up, and it hit you. The holidays are over. The lights are coming down, the radio is going back to playing the latest in a long line of hit singles that all sound like the same song about going to the club to get crunk, and the long, gray, dull, wet, cold, depressing months of January and February stretch out before you. Wouldn't it be nice if the holidays didn't come once a year, but every week? On Jacob Marley is Dead, we believe that the holidays shouldn't just be here and gone, but that they should remain in our hearts all the year. That is why each week we watch, review, discuss, and compare one of the many, many, many TV and film adaptations of Charles Dickens' classic novella, A Christmas Carol. Join us as we spiral a Groundhog Day-esque existential nightmare by reviewing the same story every week in perpetuity, and decide which adaptations we see in our Christmas future, and which ones should definitely remain in our Christmas past. Subscribe to Jacob Marley is Dead on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. So let's just dive right into the fear analysis. This movie, while it's not scary, there's definitely lots of fears present in this that are absolutely motivating our characters. Obviously, you know, there, there's the fear of death because, you know, the butcher is killing people, but I feel like that wasn't exactly motivating our characters here because only a few of them knew who the butcher was. And even our, you know, our gang of friends with Nyla, Josh, and Millie in Vince Vaughn's body, I feel like they were more motivated by just completing the or reversing the body swap, not so much as preventing the butcher from killing other people. That's just my take on it. There's obviously some, you know, body, bodily invasion in this. I mean, you know, the whole body swap thing definitely reeks of that and loss of autonomy as well because Millie is just having to watch her body being controlled by another person doing and committing things that she would never do. So yes, loss of autonomy, body invasion. There's also loss of autonomy with, you know, with, with Millie and how she's kind of feeling this sort of pressure and guilt from her mom to kind of sacrifice her fun high school life and going to college because her mom is scared of, you know, anything happening to her after the death of her husband. So 
Millie kind of feels like all this pressure and loss of autonomy to, you know, please her mom and keep her mom happy. But, you know, through the course of this movie, she kind of learns that, you know, she, she needs to do what was right for her. And which is, I think, is a very good message of this movie. This movie is also cutting into just making me re- reminded of how frightening high school is. I mean, Jesus Christ. You have to deal with bullies, dickhead teachers, assignments, meeting parental expectations, all while tr- all while trying to think about, you know, your future, your future goals, and feeling pressured to maintain some sort of social status. It- it's a lot to handle. And this movie was kind of like, oh, wow, there's a lot of teenage high school anxiety in this because, I mean, it- it's just kind of present everywhere in it. And then like, kind of like going back into like the loss of autonomy, because uh, I feel like that's the biggest point or like the biggest element of this fear analysis is the loss of autonomy. There's, you know, the point of, you know, Millie feeling that she doesn't have any control over her life because of what, you know, the pressure that her mom's putting her on. And we see that is like prevented her from like dating. We see that she has a crush on a boy that she wishes that she could, you know, just talk to. She, you know, wants to go to college, she wants to go to prom, but her mom is, you know, kind of pressuring her to not do any of that. Um, And, you know, we've all been there before. We've all want to make our parents proud, and I totally get this pressure here, and it makes it feel like you don't have any control over your own taste and your your own interest, and that kind of sucks. And because of that, she's kind of being made fun of, which is, you know, some humiliation and shame is definitely playing into that as well, so... It was kind of of a weird blessing that her and the butcher swapped bodies because she kind of got to like learn to step up for herself throughout this whole process, but <laughs> at what cost? So yeah, that was pretty much my read of the movie with the fear analysis. Again, it's not very scary, although there are some things in this that I did find very scary, which I want to get to what I think is the scariest part of this movie. It is definitely the opening scene. My favorite kill of the movie is actually the first kill in this. The one where the shithead high schooler is messing around down in the basement in the wine cellar. And the fucking butcher jams a glass wine bottle down his throat. And we see the bulge come out of his neck. And then he just mashes his fist up against his neck. Causing the bottle to shatter and the glass comes out of his neck and he bleeds to death. It is a fucking radical kill. I love it. it. It was such a good way to start off the movie. We didn't see the butcher just go full Jason Voorhees and just massacre these these shitty teenagers. It's so fucking excellent. And it's scary too. I mean, he I mean Vince Vaughn did most of his stunts in this. Like he got hit by the car and he walked through those doors in the opening in the opening scene of this movie. So he was just, you know, a hulking man. He's like, Alright, I'm ready to use my hulking body to scare some people for once. Let's fucking do this. And it came off so well. I loved it. Uh, yeah, the opening scene of this is definitely where like the scariest part of this movie come in. I will also say that the second or maybe tied for scariest part of this is the attempted gang rape. Um, as I talked about, it was kind of a nice uh, homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 with the whole stretch scene in Leatherface with the chainsaw on the crotch. But this was pretty fucking dark. I mean... I don't know, I, it, it kind of like, the movie stopped and kind of became like a rape revenge horror movie for five seconds here, and I gotta admit, I feel like that, I wanted more here from the deaths, uh, that's kind of like my only like note or criticism, 
is that, yeah, like, we see that she cuts one of the guy's throats, she chops off the head of one off screen, mind you. So, I don't know, I kind of wanted to see a little bit more violence and gore in this scene, just because out of everyone in the movie, I felt like these guys deserved it absolutely the most, besides the butcher. So, I don't know, I, I wanted more out of this, but it was definitely scary, that's for sure. As you all know, I really appreciate a movie that is trying to convey a message and it allows you, the audience member, to have a good read of the movie. And this movie, I feel like, did have a good message. It is talking about, you know, self-confidence and why it's important to know your own inner strengths and to use them. And that's something that Millie absolutely learns in this movie. You know, she gets into this physically strong body, which... You know, over the course of the movie, she gains a little bit more mental confidence as she talks to her crush. She accomplishes goals. She, you know, saves the day with her friends at the end. And she's reminded that she is surrounded by people that loves her with her mom, her sister, and her two best friends. And now, hopefully, this new this new cute boy that she's, you know, trying to date at the end of this movie. And the probably the best part of this is that after the body swap, we see that Millie internalized all those lessons. And she is still... A, she becomes a strong character at the end of this because she's the one that actually kills the butcher at the end of this movie. And that takes a lot of inner strength, not just physical, but a lot of inner strength as well. So yeah, I feel like that this movie's talking about why it's important to be confident and know your own inner strengths and to use them for good. Before I end the show, I want to bring up a fun new segment that I want to talk about, which is called the Cabin in the Woods Trinket. If you've seen Cabin in the Woods, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What movie prop from this movie would I put into the basement that would be the little trinket that would summon the monster from this movie, which is the butcher? And I'm going to say specifically the butcher as Vince Vaughn or Millie. Maybe both. Maybe it summons both. So anyways, what trinket or movie prop would I put in the basement to summon these creatures? I would definitely have to say the Dola for sure. That would summon Vince Vaughn. And if you were to pick up the awesome red leather jacket that Millie's wearing throughout this movie, you would summon Little Evil Millie. I think those are two pretty awesome props. So, yeah, put those in the Cabin in the Woods basement. Alright guys, that's going to do it for me on this episode. I loved Freaky. Please be sure to check out this movie and watch the commentary track with Christopher Landon if you're interested in that kind of fun behind-the-scenes stuff. Again, thank you so much for listening. You guys have been awesome supporters of the show. It definitely means the world world to me. Please keep sharing the show with your friends, your family. Tag me on Instagram and Twitter at Brooker Horror. And please comment on the Instagram post to continue the dialogue. I want to know what you guys think of the movie. Also, consider donating to the Spirit of Children charity. The link is in my show notes. And check out my Buy Me a Coffee page. Uh, If you want to become a supporter, I would love that. I got some fun rewards for you guys. But I also have some fun, free little, like, blurbs and blogs, postings I'm starting to do on there. So please check those out and share them on Twitter. All right, guys. I will be back next week with a very fun episode. I will be continuing the Christopher Landon filmography with Happy Death Day. And I will be joined by Dustin from Dustin Can Read. We've actually already recorded the episode i'm really excited for you guys to listen to it we had a lot of fun with it and happy death day was my first requested movie so yay i'm really excited to do that please send your request in to me on instagram at brooker horror or at my email at brookerhorror at gmail.com also 
I recorded this episode after Dustin and I did Happy Death Day, so the Cabin in the Woods trinket segment won't be in there. Sorry, I won't put it in other episodes for sure. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Please share your thoughts on Instagram, watch some good movies, and I'll see you next week. Goodbye.